as a startup company, you're always disrupting. You have to be blind, deaf and dumb because if you listen to anyone and if you saw everything, you would never do what you're doing because the odds are impossible against you. And your only chance is actually to disrupt the legacy model and really understand why the entity that is now holding the line share of the position can't disrupt themselves. Welcome to MedSider Radio, where you can learn from proven medtech and healthcare thought leaders through uncut and unedited interviews. Now, here's your host, Scott Nelson. Hey everyone, in this episode of MedSider, I sat down with Ohad Arazi, the CEO of Clarius, a leading provider of high-definition wireless ultrasound systems. With his extensive experience in the technology industry, ranging from the Israeli military to industry leaders like McKesson, TELUS, and Zebra Medical, Ohad's impact on Clarius's persistent growth is undeniable. Here are a few things that we discussed in this interview. First, to build a product that truly meets the needs of your target market, it's critical that you understand its must-have features from a functional, clinical, and financial perspective. Second, have a clear understanding of the regulatory and reimbursement pathways and be able to effectively communicate them when pitching investors. Also, understand the surrounding tools and infrastructure that make it easy for your target audience to adopt your product. Third, your channel strategy is crucial and needs to be approached soberly and with intellectual honesty. As a startup, you sometimes need to leave the beaten path and disrupt the legacy market to generate revenue quicker. Before we jump into this episode, I wanted to let you know that we recently released the second volume of MedSider Mentors, which summarizes the key learnings from the most popular MedSider interviews over the last six months or so. Look, it's tough to listen or read every single MedSider interview that comes out, even the best ones, but there are so many valuable lessons you can glean from the founders and CEOs that join our program. So that's why we decided to create MedSider Mentors. It's the easiest way for you to learn from the world's best medical device and health technology entrepreneurs in one central place. If you're interested in learning more, head over to medsiderradio.com forward slash mentors. Premium members get free access to all past and future volumes. If you're not a premium member yet, you should definitely consider signing up. In addition to every volume of MedSider Mentors, you'll get full access to the entire library of interviews dating back to 2010. This includes conversations with experts like Erica Rogers, CEO of Silk Road Medical, Dr. David Albert, founder of AliveCore, and so many others. In addition, as a premium member, you'll get to join live interviews with these incredible medtech and health tech entrepreneurs. Learn more by visiting medsiderradio.com forward slash mentors. Again, that's medsiderradio.com forward slash mentors. I recorded a, a, a kind of a high level bio at the outset of this interview, but always like to start kind of hearing from you first. So without getting too far into the weeds, Give us a sense for your professional background leading up to uh, your, your CEO role at, at Clarius. Yeah, I started my tech career in the Israeli military, actually. I'm Israeli originally, and I was a product manager in the intelligence corps, uh, which was an amazing training ground. And actually, in many ways, you know, people expect the military to be extremely hierarchical and very structured. And I actually found like very destructive thinking being fostered where I was at in the military. And uh, so that's where I started my career. I joined a startup that was founded by some people that had come from my unit. I ended up running it and we sold it in 2005. And then subsequent to that, I moved to Vancouver. My wife's a Vancouverite, so she dragged me here at first kicking and screaming. But of course, I've learned to love it. It's an amazing place. And uh, through complete serendipity, I ended up at McKesson. McKesson's medical imaging business, uh, which has since been divested to change healthcare, was headquartered right here in Vancouver. And I came in as a director of product and had an awesome 11-year career there, ending up as the uh, senior vice president GM, 
running the cardiology imaging business. Uh, it was a ton of fun and a uh, great corporation. And uh, then served as chief strategy officer uh, for a publicly traded company here in Canada, which is uh, TELUS. It's a, it's a big telco, which has a substantial healthcare division, which is pretty unique. You know, a lot of telcos have dabbled in healthcare and very few have had the staying power. But TELUS has built almost a $2 billion business. And so I was running the EMR business there, doing um, M&A kind of strategy stuff. And then after 15 years of being a big corporate guy, which I, I never thought of myself as one, but you know, there you have it. I, um, I came back to my startup roots. I took the helm of a venture-backed Israeli company called Zebra Medical, uh, which was an imaging AI company. And um, Zebra was sold in early, mid-2021. And then subsequent to that, did some advisory roles. And, and through that, started to work with Clarius, which is a handheld ultrasound company. And I've been here now for just over a year, uh, took over for our amazing founder, and um, I'm having a ton of fun. Awesome. Awesome. And we're recording this kind of in early 23. So you, it looks like you kind of took the helm at, at Clarius in, in early, early 2022. And for those that aren't familiar with, with Clarius, give us a sense for kind of what, what, what you're working on and then where, where you're at in terms of kind of, um, you know, commercialization and, and you know, what, what's ahead for the next, you know, six to 12 months. Yeah, for sure. So Clarius is a digital health company. We're based here in Vancouver, Canada, and we're on a mission to make accurate, easy to use and affordable ultrasound tools available to all medical professionals across multiple specialties. And that really applies to a variety of care settings and use cases that could be nurses in the developing world. It could be EMTs in an ambulance, family doctors providing rural medicine or surgeons performing safer and more accurate procedures um, and and many more. And so we, we do this by bringing together high performance ultrasound imaging, cloud data, in artificial intelligence. And that creates this, this powerful ecosystem that you know, provides significant value to improve patient care and, and allows us to kind of enable medical imaging in every setting, which is really the mission that we're on. Uh, we do all of this with uh, this amazing device that I'm holding in my hand for our viewers. It's the size, or our listeners, it's the size of an, of an iPhone 11. It costs under $3,500, and yet it's a full-fledged ultrasound machine. It has a quality output that's comparable to the cart-based systems that you may have seen at the hospital. Got it. And um, yeah, you can appreciate, Scott, how different this is than those big old carts, right? They get wheeled around with all their cables and their knobs and buttons. This is sleek. It's um, it's powered by artificial intelligence, which makes it dead easy to use, even by users that haven't been trained as physicians or as sonographers. Got it. A super helpful overview. And for those listening that can't see uh, what Ohad is is holding up, it really truly does have the footprint of it, of like an iPhone, uh, iPhone 11, you know, uh, something like that. Uh, really, really sleek design. And and if you want to go um, go check out Clarius in more detail, I mean, you can certainly see what it looks like on, on the website, which is uh, Clarius.com, C-L-A-R-I-U-S, C-L-A-R-I-U-S, Clarius.com. To, uh, for, for, you know, if you want to want to jump to that, jump to the website and don't get a chance to, to see the show notes uh, for this particular, uh, for this particular interview. But, um, in terms of, um, well, I, I want to go back and kind of rewind the clock and learn a little bit more how, how the company's unfolded and kind of what you learned, uh, not only, uh, in your experience at Clarius, but really, I mean, you've got a lot of, you know, startup, you've seen a lot of startups, right. In your, in your career mm-hmm. the, the, thus far. So I want to get your take on that. But before we go there, I think there's probably a fair amount of people listening to this that, that are familiar with butterfly, right. They've seen butterflies ads either online. Um, I, I think I've even seen, you know, some, uh, you know, quite a few, um, offline ads as well for Butterfly. And 
I've always understood butterflies as kind of like consumerish type of ultrasound kind of product. Give it, you know, I, I don't expect you to dog on your competitors, but give us an idea of kind of how, how Clarius is, is, is different. If you can kind of summarize that. Yeah, we've had very divergent go-to-market strategies. And, and as a result, we've developed very different products, but we are in the same general category, which is handheld ultrasound. So I think that we share a mission to really bring this to the bedside, bring this to the point of care. Butterfly is focused on community care, on primary care physicians, and uh, substantially also on medical residency programs. And so they, they create kind of a lower uh, image quality, kind of a lower cost, simpler device with an intention of creating, you know, of having diverse use cases with a single device. And so it's kind of like a one-size-fits-all tool. And, and of course, that entails some trade-offs, right? In order for it to work, for example, to do cardiac imaging, you need a small form factor so it can fit in between the patient's ribs. But then that means that it will have a very limited field of view if you're doing MSK, carotids, you know, pick line placement, things like that. So, but, but kind of th their, their strategy was lower cost, uh, kind of one-size-fits-all. And, and they're going into the, the GP market, which I think over time will be very important. Uh, it's still quite early in terms of the adoption cycle of GPs uh, because there's very few financial drivers for GPs to bring it into their practice. And there's actually disincentives in terms of liability, uh, time. I think that's the biggest one. I mean, you know what it's like. You go see your GP, you've got 10 minutes. And so they're spending the first eight minutes talking about your sore throat. And then, you know, it's kind of unlikely to say, well, we've got 90 minutes, Scott, why don't you lie down on the ultrasound bed? I'll do a full scan of your body and I'll see if I can diagnose anything with your liver. And so um, I think GPs will catch on. And, and I think we just have to create the right tools for them that are more streamlined and are more disease state specific for tools that for conditions that GPs really track and monitor. And so butter, um, so, so Clarius is like, we're more like a block of chef's knives. If you kind of think of them, like they're like a Swiss army knife or, or a butter knife, we're a block of chef's knives, right? So we, we focus on specific use cases for specialists, not on the GP market. We do serve GPs, but I'd say that it's um, still early in its adoption. As I mentioned, whereas specialists have very discrete use cases where imaging is being used. And um, we focus on those. And, and also we have a, a line of 10 different probes seven for human medicine and three for veterinary care. They're all tuned and optimized for the specific use case that you're looking to accomplish with them, right? Because if you're using imaging to guide a PRP injection into the rotator cuff, it's a very different type of imaging, very different type of depth of field you need image resolution than if you're using it to diagnose or to monitor an obstetrical exam where you're dealing with a much bigger body cavity, uh, much you know organs that are much deeper in the body, and so um, that's really been our success is selling to specialists because they have very strong drivers, both from a patient care perspective and from a financial one as well, either reimbursement drivers or private pay drivers that are um, kind of fueling the adoption of using this to increase reimbursement, uh, create more revenue, bring in more patients. And of course, do all of that in an environment that is better for the patient as well. Got it. Got it. That, that's, that's super helpful. And I like your analogy of like, you know, a, a chef's block of, of, of knives versus, you know, just kind of a universal butter, butter knife that kind of helps it set, set the stage for those of us, including myself that aren't as uh, don't have the kind of the, the ultrasound domain expertise that, that you have. That, that said, you, you mentioned a couple things, um, Oha, that I, that I, I really, um, I really think are, are, are paramount to kind of emphasize is one understanding the economic incentives of your users, right. And then understanding how your potential solution or your product in this case 
fits into their into their kind of their their day to day sort of sort of protocol, right? The economic incentives have have to be there for something to really like succeed. But I I think you know to your point, I mean, you could have a really like a, a, an otherwise like really cool device, right? At, at first blush, it looks cool at a booth at CES or something like that, or at any sort of like medical show. But if it's not practical, right? If the user just simply doesn't have enough time to pull it out and use it in a patient interaction, they're just not. It's gonna be. A, they're not gonna. There's gonna it be no st- nice stickiness. Yeah, nice to have. Yeah, there's no stickiness to it. Yeah. So I think those two things, and we'll hopefully dig into this in a little bit more detail as the discussion unfolds, are just so crucial. I think for you know entrepreneurs that are that are listening to this uh, this interview, you got you got to nail those things. You know what I mean? Does your product is your product really going to be used? Are your are your users going to be gravitating towards it and wanting to use it? And then are they going to be economic? Are, are the economics uh, aligned? You know, uh, to to see this really you know uh, uh, ha- have some traction. So anyway, those are those are really good points. But with that said, um, last question, kind of on, on the on the high level, kind of Clarius front. You're you're in market, right? You're actively commercializing this device as we speak. That's right. We're about thirty five million in revenue. We've been uh, growing at over fifty percent for three straight years now. Wow. And, and really, I think a big key to our success is everything that you just talked about, right? It's really nailing that product market fit, which is such an overused term. But to me, you know, I think about how I started my career in the medical device space at McKesson. I told you I came in as director of product and I really didn't know much about medical imaging. And I spent two years sitting in radiology dark rooms or in cardiology labs watching them work. And figuring out, why did you do that? I saw you click there. You picked up that stentophone, which was a tool that may, 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 many of our listeners might not even remember. But um, what was that piece of paper for? Who did you call? So you can really think about their environment. And, and then, especially if you're looking to disrupt a legacy market, think about us. We had to first create image quality that's on par with what specialists were using, which was principally carts or more commonly compact systems, like kind of those laptop-based ultrasounds that would get wheeled around the hospital. And so once you're able to achieve that, though, in order to create that stickiness, in order to convince them to make a replacement decision or to buy into a new technology, change their workflow, which is a very difficult thing to do in a medical setting at the point of care, we had to really understand how they work. And so we observed, if, and, 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 and that's why it's so different, but it's so important to think about each specialist or each user with their discrete use case. Because if I'm an orthopedic surgeon, in that example that I gave, injecting PRP into the patient's rotator cuff, first of all, I have ultrasound in one hand and I have a needle in the other, which is used for the injection. So one thing that I don't have is a third hand. And that's why we had to have so much AI powered because different from a sonographer, that is working all the time with the ultrasound is has all these knobs and controls on their compact to optimize the gain, the depth of field, the contrast, the orthopedic surgeon has to have that done automatically because they're moving the ultrasound and they need AI, which for example, we just got clearance for an AI that automatically segments the tendon and measures it because they can't drop the needle and now start to pinch the tablet, which they're using to view the images to place the caliper to perform the measurements. Uh, we have a needle enhance feature where AI automatically detects the needle when it's in plane so that the practitioner can see it accentuated and increase the contrast to know exactly where the needle is relative to the nerve bundle. Hmm. And by observing them, we saw that what they really need is voice controls. They need to be able to say, increase zoom, uh-huh. increase gain, take a snapshot. Actually, our AI automatically detects the optimal image as the key image that they use for reimbursement because if they're billing for wow. an image-guided code, they need to retain the record to show the needle in an ultrasound view 
because if CMS then audits them for their reimbursement, they have to be able to provide that evidence. So things like that all stem from really observing the workflow and understanding where you can add value. And to me, that's how you build a company is actually you ensure that it's not just a general alignment of, yes, this has some value, but it's very specific on what is my user doing and how can I help them accomplish their job because they're so pressed for time and they're met, you know, they've got so many balls in the air. And especially at that one moment where we come in, which is the point of care, the mm-hmm. patient is right there. And so like every procedure, every step they make has to be so accurate and precise. And we really have to make sure we help them accomplish those steps. Got it. That, that's great. And, and, and I, I couldn't agree with you more, like having that, that deep understanding of, of, of your customer's experience uh, cannot be underappreciated for sure. I mean, just, I mean, there, that's like entry, entry into the game. And if you're not doing that, if you're not deeply understanding kind of like what your, what your customer is experiencing and what they, what they truly, uh, you know, need uh, to accelerate kind of, uh, you know, or, or make, make their life more efficient um, or whatever, uh, you know, that, that uh, you need, you need to make sure that you're, 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 you're checking that box for sure. Um, with that said though, before we, we kind of go back in time and a little, learn a little bit more about kind of the, the journey with Clarius uh, as well as your career, like, so if I'm using your device and I'm scanning, I mean, I heard you say your the AI can take, will take the, you know, the, the, the algorithm will, t- will take the optimal image, but it has voice controls. Like I can just say like, wow, that's incredible. Okay, cool. Has, Very cool. Yeah. And again, no compact systems have that. Right. And yeah. so it's just, <laughs> if we view this, I said in my opening, this is a digital health company. Yes, there's a device component, but actually workflow to me is software. And that's where we create most of the value. And if you think about it from a commercial lens, over time, I think that the services component will be much more substantial than the device. Our device is now retails for $3,400 US plus a $600 a year annual membership, which is all the software, the AI, the cloud. And probably over time, more of our company's revenue will be coming from the memberships Got and it. the subscription, which is all the services that surround the device. Uh, the device is the door opener, but it's actually the AI, the software that lowers that hurdle rate for you to be able to use it day in, day out. Yeah, that's very cool. Awesome. Uh, and again, for those listening, uh, Clarius.com uh, is the website, C-L-A-R-I-U-S, C-L-A-R-I-U-S.com if you want to go check it out. Uh, super cool technology. Um for sure. So let's use the next, you know, 15, 20 minutes or so to kind of go back in time a little bit and learn a little bit uh, more about your, your career um, as well, as well as the journey with Clarius. And you laid out that this, you know, your, your, a high level kind of uh, picture of kind of what, uh, what your journey has been like personally, and you've been around a lot of startups. So, I mean, if you had to kind of uh, pinpoint a couple key gaps, right. With other health tech metric entrepreneurs that are in this alpha beta stage of the companies. They're, they're pretty, they're, they're early on trying to figure, trying to figure things out. What do you think they, they make the most mistakes? Yeah. And it really depends on the stage of the company, but I would say, first of all, in healthcare, there's, I see a lot of stocks companies and a lot of startups that kind of their value proposition is, is generally aligned, but it's also kind of a little bit of motherhood and apple pie. Like this will save time. Uh, mm-hmm. This will provide efficiency, but those are very general statements. And so how, and how do you measure that? How do you quantify that? And so probably about 10 years ago, I really started to understand reimbursement. How does it work? How does CMS work? What is Medicare Advantage? How do value-based care systems work? So you can really understand the incentives and the drivers which are governing the buying process because there's often a difference between your user and your buyer. And even if they're aligned, they're wearing different hats when they're making a buying decision versus a using decision. And I really encourage startups to think about what is the buying decision behind this and what are the drivers? How do you measure that? And if you can't explain that and measure that to yourself, 
then it will be very, very hard to make that economic case. And whether it's a health system or it's an individual practitioner who's making a purchase decision, each are doing their own calculus. And you have to understand what motivates them and what drives them. So I always say, you know, like, of course, understand the clinical benefit and you start there, but you have to surround that with a very crisp understanding of the flow of the money and what are the drivers. And they also, of course, vary by jurisdiction. So make sure you understand the economics at each market that you serve. Got it. That's such, that's such a great that, that's such a great answer. I remember um, um, when I first started going deeper on the reimbursement kind of function or topic. It was when I was at Covidian, and uh, we had just acquired a, a, a device um, that required a new CPT code. And I, I mean, I, I knew generally, right? To your point, like I knew the generalities, but I didn't know the specifics. Like, how do you actually do this? Who, what stakeholders do you need do you need to get on board? How does this actually work? And going deep and truly understanding kind of how those how those pieces of the puzzle fit together was awesome. I mean, what, what a, it was a phenomenal experience and it was really eye-opening at the same, at the same time. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I couldn't agree with you more, like understanding those specifics, right? Ob- obviously, you know, solving a true clinical need is paramount, but surround, you know, I'm going to steal your, your verbiage, surround, surrounding that, right? And, and understanding, you know, and being able to quantify, you know, those, you know, your, your solution and, and what those benefits uh, provide. I mean, it, that, that's, that's crucial. It's absolutely key. Yeah. yeah and, 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 you know, I can tell you, similar to your experience at Covidian, you know, sometimes you walk into an environment where you've identified a clinical gap that isn't yet supported by reimbursement. And that's okay as well. There's pathways to do that. There's pathways to go to the CPT committee through the AMA, which I did actually, you know, when we went at Zebra Medical in the imaging AI space, it, like imaging AI is one of these things that you think, oh, it's such a no brainer, right? I mean, you have all these medical images that are basically highly nuanced shades of gray with this massive amount of pixel data, you think, well, machine vision and machine learning can be able to interpret that and help support processes there. But it's been very hard actually to find the ROI models. Mm-hmm. And you know, once we identified things, especially that were um, not being addressed, like not to try to replace or disintermediate the radiologist, but actually complement them by things they weren't doing today, that we could leverage AI to stratify risk for a variety of conditions, we found out, okay, there's a clinical value here, but there's no reimbursement value yet. Hmm. And we created a reimbursement case and we ultimately got two category three CPT codes for imaging. Yeah, the first two ones, we collaborated with the American College of Radiology and we paved away. So so I, I would say don't get hamstrung as an entrepreneur. If there isn't a pathway, you can create it, but you have to be very clear on that value and actually going through the code committee, which you did with Covidian and, and I did with Zebra it forces you to do the clinical studies and to actually, you know, get deep into that understanding of the value and how can it best be quantified. Right. Yeah, no doubt. And if you're to your point, right, it can't, it doesn't necessarily have to be, um, it doesn't necessarily have to handcuff you or prevent you from going down this path. If you're onto something compelling, right. A, a sort of compelling technology, but just understanding kind of the general path forward, right? Like if you're going to, you know, create a new code, right. Understanding what it's going to cost and take to get there, as well as how do you how do you actually get payers on how do you get CMS and private payers on board right that that's a long process uh, you're going to need to raise probably multiple rounds of capital and hopefully it's in a market that's big enough that can support you know you know the type of valuations you know that, that uh, you know uh, uh, angels and VCs want to get on board with you know what I mean so just understanding that pathway and I want to ask you some more questions about about Clarius and kind of your, your overall journey here but just to add to this I was on a on a call yesterday with a super talented um, engineer like very experienced. Clever for sure, uh, and w- w- is probably onto something uh, onto this this device idea and what you know the the clinical areas that it could probably solve, but didn't 
didn't have didn't have a clue on what the reg or reimbursement pathways looked like at all. And so, I mean, if you're if you're in that same boat and kind of you know trying to pitch you know you know uh, you know seed investors, angel investors, or even maybe VCs for that matter, and you don't have a clear kind of narrative or talk track around how you're going to solve for those hurdles. I mean, you, you got to go back, you got to go back and, and do that. Don't expect your audience to do that for you. You know what I mean? So uh, just kind of a, just a little, a little side note, but on, on one thing you, you mentioned kind of like understanding kind of reimbursement globally too, right? It's not, it doesn't necessarily have to be just U.S. specific. One thing I noticed kind of doing some background research for this discussion is Clarius has a lot of global regulatory uh, clearances and approvals. And that's impressive for sure, uh, to say the least. It, have there been like efficiencies that you've tapped into in order to do that? Because typically that's pretty, I mean, that's a challenge. I mean, regulatory clearance or approval just in one geography is, is usually a, a, a big lift, but let alone, you know, multiple geographies. So, I mean, it's impressive, but have there been any kind of uh, any, anything that you can share with respect to kind of, uh, you know, that, that effort at Clarius? Hey there, it's Scott. And thanks for listening in so far. The rest of this conversation is only available via our private podcast for MedSider Premium members. If you're not a premium member yet, you should definitely consider signing up. You'll get full access to the entire library of interviews dating back to 2010. This includes conversations with experts like Renee Ryan, CEO of Cala Health, Nadeem Yared, CEO of CVRX, and so many others. As a premium member, you'll get to join live interviews with these incredible medical device and health technology entrepreneurs. In addition, you'll get a copy of every volume of MedSider Mentors at no additional cost. To learn more, head over to MedSiderRadio.com forward slash premium. Again, that's MedSiderRadio.com forward slash premium.